This episode of Fight Stories is brought to you by Absolute Nature CBD. For the smoothest 100% natural CBD and CBD oil products, go to AbsoluteNatureCBD.com. Plug in the promo code GOONSQUAD and get yourself a 20% discount. But wait, is that Santa I hear on the roof? Bringing a special Christmas giveaway brought to you by Fight Stories and the good people at Absolute Nature CBD. Why, I think it is. Over the next two weeks, Fight Stories listeners, if you share an episode of this season's Fight Stories on Facebook or retweet it on Twitter and tag both AbsoluteNatureCBD.com and us, the Fight Stories boys, John Moses and Tyler Morrison, and include the hashtag Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway. That will enter you for a chance to win one of the Absolute Nature CBD products, either the 1,000 milligram bottle of oil, 500 milligram uh, canister of the salve. That's the ointment you rub all over your dick and balls. Or their new product, the Soft Gel Caps. So... You retweet it, it gives you a chance to win one of those three products. However, the person who retweets and or Facebook shares the most over the next two weeks will win all three of those things. The CBD Super Pack brought to you by Absolute Nature. You will win the 1,000 milligram bottle, the 500 milligram salve, and the soft gel caps. got to be like a $250 value. All you got to do is share what you love. Make sure you include the hashtag Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway. Is that what I said the first time? Well, that's what it is now. Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway. And tag the Sunshine Boys and the good people at Absolute Nature CBD. Here's the episode. Hey everyone, you're listening to another episode of Fight Stories. This is Tyler Morrison. I'm here with John Moses. The Sunshine Boys. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a great guest lined up for you today. We are going to be uh, talking with former NHL heavyweight fighter and former NHL referee. He has a new book out called You Wanna Go. Uh, you can get that at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and on his website, uh, youwantogo.com. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we have Mr. Paul Stewart. How are you today, Paul? Well, I'm glad that marijuana is legal. I figured you guys out already. <laughs> <laughs> that's the old uh, referee cop in you, eh? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, actually, now that the government's back, I'm all excited that Nancy Pelosi has a job again and... Yeah. Donald's going to build his wall. And, you know, they couldn't build one across Canada because they'd have to put a moat across Quebec. And, of course, those guys can swim, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Where are you going to get your good beef? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Paul, thanks but for... It's uh... good to be with you and uh, talking hockey as we head into Beanpot Week here in Boston. And... Uh, the first woman to ever referee a men's beanpot will take the ice on Monday night. Boston College is playing Harvard. And Katie Gay, who worked in the Olympics last year, will be refereeing. She also won the Red Bull competition, will be competing in the finals at Fenway Park when that happens. That's that downhill skating extravaganza. Oh, God. And probably one of the few people of the female gender that I think could potentially break the glass ceiling with the NHL, which means no home life or not here long. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing. We were, we were actually just down in Boston, and that's that's where you're from originally, right? I am. Paul, I'm let me ask you. Dorchester, right around where the Wahlbergs live. Oh, okay. All of them had police records, so <laughs> they're welcome in Dorchester. <laughs> Paul, we're, we're going to jump around here, but this is just a, a quick American question. Did you ever take it easier on the American players because you were like, these Canadians are running ramshot? Like like Pat LaFontaine gave somebody a little stick and you let that one go for the country? No, I, <laughs> because, you know, the interesting thing is that I played for two Canadian teams, Edmonton and Quebec. Uh-huh. I went through customs once 
in Quebec and the customs uh, officer was there and he had the clipboard and he goes, Tardif, La Croix, La Pierre, uh, Dion, Stewart. Stewart, you're a Nordique? I said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, I thought all the Nordiques were French Canadian. I said, not the tough ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we were, we were at, we had uh, Darren Kimball on, and uh, I think he might have felt the same way. He's uh, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah 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 the non French. He guy. was a pretty rugged guy. I remember him. Yeah, yeah. He was a rugged guy and a good kid too. So yeah, we never had too much problem. No, you don't differentiate between the countries because at one point in time, when I was refereeing in the National Hockey League, of the six Canadian teams, there were zero teams that had. Canadian captains. They were all European. Interesting. Oh, that must have been the Matt Sundin era. Well, it was Matt Sundin, Saka Koivu, and Alfredson, and uh, Alfredson, and uh, down the road out in Calgary and Edmonton. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter when you drop a puck and you put a sweater on and you go out skate. All of that is aside. What really counts is. You know, are you playing for yourself and your team, and and it's really uh, chasing the puck and being a kid again that really counts. And I think that all that nationality stuff is a bunch of bunk. Anyway, my grandmother was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah. More Canadians in Boston than any place else, and uh, and if they're not here, they're in Miami. <laughs> yeah, well, well, upstate New York is uh, pretty ripe with them too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> And so playing uh, exactly. playing in Quebec then, uh, what, w- what was it like uh, with the language barrier having to be, you know, be an American or, or an English-speaking uh, guy playing for Quebec? You, 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 sound, you sound like René Lévesque, and it's interesting because one night <laughs> when I was playing in Quebec and I was out with uh, Jamie Hislop, and, who was a nice kid from Sarnia that had a good career, played at UNH and went on and played in the National League, put in the WHA with me, and Reggie Thomas was another fellow from Western Ontario. We were in a restaurant called Old Vieux Canon, which is the old cannons inside of the uh, the old city. And René Levesque, who was the separatist, um, he was the, um, yeah, I think yeah. he was the, what would you call it, the prime minister or, or the... Um, yeah, he was of the, Quebec, the yeah. Yeah, like a governor, or not governor. I yeah, so he was the head. A prick yeah, is what we call him. He's an MP. Of the government. Right. An MP. So he, he, he called us over and asked us if we would have a drink with him. And we sat there, and it was interesting because he looked at me and he said, now, uh, as an Englishman, do you have a problem here in Quebec with, uh, <laughs> with the French and how you're treated? I said, well, I'm not English. I'm American. <laughs> he said, well, I mean, it's... Uh, the same thing. I said, no, well, first of all, I try to speak French when I can. And second of all, I said, I have somebody that does all the talking for me. And he said, oh, you have an interpreter? I said, no, I have George Washington. And if you have enough of them, everybody listens. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Turn that frown upside down. (laughs) That's right. So I think all of that, you know, other players chose to hold out and not play in Quebec, and we know who we're talking about, but I always felt that (laughs) to have the the honor to be in a place and play where Jean Bellabeau played and Guy Lafleur and Rocket Richard and and spots like that, and you look at those players that were such great players, and Jacques Demers and André Boudrias were so good to me, and and Maurice Fillion, that it was an honor for me to be a Quebec Nordique, and the only regret I have is that the National League chose to not have a team there. And after they won the Cup, when they moved to Colorado, I felt that it would have been right, and it would have been a great move for any one of those players to take the Cup back to Quebec Mm-hmm. have a parade and honor the fans that had supported them for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that, absolutely that, right. That's a, that would have been great. And uh, and, that, and that's also the first time I've heard that a suggestion. And it does, it really, and we were talking this about this a little bit on the way over, but it, it, it blows my mind that you can get somebody who, you know, is playing a professional sport and gets drafted by a city and decides that they're not going to go there as opposed to embracing, I mean, not just the opportunity, but like this magnificent fucking, this thing that so few people in life get to get to enjoy and experience, you know? Well, you, you, 
you you can't stand and criticize them because nowadays it's not a game anymore; it's a business. And right. the fact is that that a lot of people have a lot of people telling them how and where and what they should do. I, on the other hand, considered it a privilege. Further, I wasn't what others would call a star. So, to that end, when you start to think about the opportunities that you have as a player and you look at the opportunity to play in what really is one of the, uh, the fountains of, of hockey in North America and Quebec and, and Montreal and, and in that province. And I, I, I just had so much respect. I lived in Russia as well for three years and I assimilated there and tried to learn the language and get oh, wow. to the point where I was earning their respect Mm-hmm. And and that's why I find as an American, sometimes I find it difficult as we sit here and go through all of this uh, tedious and, and really terrible uh, humanity as we're, we're experiencing now, not, not making opinions about the president or, or any of the lawmakers because it's not my place and it's, I really don't want to say anything because it doesn't, you know, what they do is what they do. Right, but, and it doesn't know, sell books. I think if hockey really wants to be the global sport, we ought to take a few skates down to South America. They they may like it. Yeah. There are a lot of people down there. Maybe they'll like it. They like it in China, right. and they certainly mm-hmm. did well after World War II in Russia with right. hockey. And now look at, at the World Junior Tournament. You can't count on just the U.S. and Canada anymore. And as I said to Don Cherry once, you know, you Canadians have done such a great job with the sport. You've made it so attractive that everybody wants to play. And everybody wants to be good. Yeah, well, I mean, the problem, the problem, of course, is uh, it's not just taking a couple of pairs of skates down there. You know, how are you going to – hockey is an expensive sport. Yeah, no doubt about that. And that's something else that we need to address. In my recent induction in the Hall of Fame, I, I made mention at the closing of my speech that, that part of the rededication or the continuation of earning this honor was to help the sport – not only stay affordable, but safe. Mm. And as well, to continue it in a manner that it still mm-hmm. brings joy to people who put on skates. And I think that when you get to that prohibitive spot where you're starting to spend $180 for stick and $900 for a pair of skates, it starts to become greed and it's not hockey anymore. And right. so to that end, I think that, that we need to really address this issue and, and get on the same page as well as as we can. And I think it would be interesting going into a country that's never experienced hockey before and just to like to start it from the ground level because you'd be starting the culture from a different way as well like the culture of the game in in that uh, new country. I remember my uncle telling me a story. He went to Australia and he walked into the local hockey arena. It's the only arena around and there's a whole team of guys just standing on the ice and they're standing in the middle of the ice and he's he's going, "What are they doing?" So he walks onto the ice and he sees that there's one guy reading a book to them, and the book is called How to Play Hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, things have changed there now, because in our summer, they play in the winter. They've asked me to go over and help with the officiating over there, and I think that, you know, the same thing's happening in China. You know, they have a KHL team now, and and they have uh, uh, players that are playing. I look at what hockey, and this is a theory of mine, but... In 1972, when, when, the, when the Summit Series happened, and Paul Henderson and Espo and all those fellows did what they did, and Yakushev and Tretiak did what they did, it, it really started to take the mortar and the stone out of the, out of the, uh, out of the whole wall that stood between us. So they called it an Iron Curtain, but I, mm-hmm. I really feel that, that those players started to see what it was like over here. And it, it started the real decay of, of the totalitarian dictatorship. And then in the mid-80s, all of a sudden, Kasatonov and, and Fetisov and, and Larionov and those great players are start, starting to play in the NHL. And I think that, that, you know, look at the way it's gone now. Yeah, we still have differences, but really that's more because of the language. It's the same thing that Western or English Canadians have with Quebec. You know, they, they don't understand, they don't communicate. And I think that this is something that we can overcome. We, you know, we look at, at a place like Finland and Sweden and go there. We think we're in North America so smart. Mm. You go there and those people speak four and five and six languages. I always, and I, I think that, 
I always feel at a disadvantage and like I miss an opportunity. Like I wish I would have paid a little more attention in a French class, grades four through nine, because <laughs> you know now I'm paying for the privilege to learn a language or, or trying to download well, I, some language program. I'm right you know? with you because the first time I went to Quebec, Jamie Hissop was my roommate, and he said, "Let's order some chicken dinner." So we called the cockroti. It's the yellow car with the red chicken on top. And I called and I used my best French and I ordered two chicken dinners. It was three in the morning. We had been out having some. Some of uh, the, some of that Canadian lager, some libations. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, Molson. It is a Canadian game, right? So they, uh, the fellow shows up at the door, and I open the door at the Chateau Frontenac, and and uh, the two chicken dinners are twelve. And I said, you see, at three in the morning with a few beers in you, uh, and with a Boston accent, <laughs> duh and dudes are so close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And back when you were playing in uh, in the NHL with uh, Quebec, I, I just had a question for you because I was looking at your uh, your hockey uh, fight record, your uh, your fight card, and I noticed a uh, oh, big shout out to DropTheGloves.com. Yeah, yeah, they they um, they log everyone's uh, you know fight card, and I thought it was really interesting how many multiple fight games you had, where there was there was no less than fifteen uh, games in like uh, not just the NHL but other leagues as well. But I was wondering when you played in in uh, Quebec, did you have anyone that was like in in like a you know more of a primary fighter that was working with you, or were you by yourself kind of like a lone gunman doing that? Well, Wally Weir was as tough as they came, and and yeah. Brackenberry was as tough as they came. But it seemed that maybe because of the fact that I was an American and I was playing for Quebec and I was from Boston, a lot of people don't realize at that time if you looked across the league at the three Canadian teams in the East, uh, the three tough guys on, on the teams were Paul Stewart from Boston, mm-hmm. Chris Nyland from Boston, uh-huh. and Kurt yep. Walker from Boston. And then you start to think about the other guys in the league, and you look at Paul Holmgren, and you look at Nick Kikiu, and you look at the Carlsons and the Hansons and all of these guys, and you, you start to think, why is that? Is it the water down there? Or <laughs> <something>? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but what it comes down to is that we were the minority. Yeah. And you were either a great player or you had to fight your way into the job. Huh. And so in many senses, we weren't too unlike Roland Curtinback or, or uh, John Ferguson. We, you know, we were guys that were buying space for ourselves with our fists. That's interesting, and and uh, you mentioned uh, I think did you, did, you, uh, did you mention J- Dave Hansen or um, one of these? I fought them all. I the, fought yeah, those guys. You fought almost <laughs> for Slapshot fans of the movie. You fought pretty much. I was in the movie. You were in the movie, <laughs> and and you fought all the Hansen brothers. <laughs> I did. I had, I had to. They, you know, was, they were from Minnesota. I ended up marrying a girl from Minnesota and fighting with her, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you fought the one handsome brother that didn't make it into the movie that they replaced with... Uh, with you the know, <laughs> what a great honor he paid me. Uh, a few days before my induction into the U.S. Hall of Fame, Jack Carlson, who I have never spoken to, other than the night in Hartford when I fought him back-to-back. <laughs> uh, what were you saying that night? <laughs> well... Not a lot. And he said to me, you know, after the first fight, he says, you know, we have to go again. I said, it's your barn. I said, I'll be out in three minutes. It's your barn. And we, we went out and we dropped the gloves again. And it was, you know, toe-to-toe and it was a good fight. But he called me. And I took it as such a great compliment from a guy that was, a, a, you know, a true tough guy, a true guy that played inside of the code. He wasn't, he wasn't a dirty guy. He just... He just did what he did, and and he called me and 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 congratulated me, and I took that as a great sign of respect. And many people who are listening to this perhaps think that, you know, I was a violent guy. I wasn't. I was very, I think, calculating. I think I I utilized the intelligence that I was given and understood and figured out what I had to do to get there. And looking at the flyers in '73 and '4 and '5, I mean, I was at the rink that they practiced at every day at mm. the University of Pennsylvania. Hmm. going to an Ivy League school. My roommate in prep school is a congressman and a Rhodes Scholar and 
people don't know it, but I helped him with his homework every night. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, uh, sorry, sorry, John. I was, I was looking also at the card, and I noticed uh, back when you were in the AHL, you ran into a couple uh, Philadelphia guys. They played in Philadelphia back then, but they ended up becoming Flyers. Uh, it was a pretty se- serious tandem, Jim Cunningham and Glenn Cochran, and I saw a couple multiple fight games. I was wondering how those ones uh, how those ones went. That was tough um, in Maine. At the end of I was I was sent to Philadelphia Firebirds, which is American League team owned by fellow that owned Mrs. Paul's Fish Sticks. Okay. <laughs> and, and 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 the interesting part of that was that that uh, we went up to Maine one night at the end of the first period. My dad saw me in the runway he said watch yourself they're gonna they're gonna come after you and i never got three feet onto the ice and the whole team jumped me oh wow i gave this uh i got fined 850 dollars by jack butterfield which that's a lot back i'll I'll conclude with that story in a second but i fought cunningham cochran bosniak linsman cunningham cochran bosniak linsman and People say, well, you, you mentioned them already. I said, no, but they came around again. <laughs> so I got fined $850 for uh, setting a record in the American League for so many penalty minutes. And Jack Butterfield, who was president, said to me, you know, uh, I appealed it. And he said, you'll get this money back over my dead body. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, and later on, I went back and refereed in the American League. We became great friends. But when Jack did pass away, I went to his funeral, and they never had a check there for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's like you had a one-sided line brawl. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And uh, it was funny because the team that that I was playing on and Jeff Glenn was coaching – it was the uh, farm team for the Colorado Rockies. Okay. I, I, I didn't, I, I went in the dressing room at the end of this fight and I got my ass kicked and I was bleeding and there was a picture in Sports Illustrated about it. My nose was three, three or four degrees left to center. Anyway, um, <laughs> it, I, I, I told those guys, I said, someday I'm going to play against all you and you're going to regret it. And I went to Fort Worth the next year in the Central Hockey League. I, I grabbed about three or four of them in the warm-up and swatted them. <laughs> <laughs> in the warm-up. <laughs> well, I couldn't get penalized then. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and I'm looking here, and well, the one the one game that, uh, I mean, it stands out as a highlight for uh, anyone that played uh, in the NHL uh, enforcer role. This one, this one, the guys on HockeyFights.com like to talk about. Um, <laughs> you went against the Boston Bruins. One night and ran into four of the toughest to ever play the game: Wayne Cashman, Terry O'Reilly, Stan Jonathan, and Al Secord, all in one game. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I didn't know who Secord was. I, I was expecting Wensick, who I had fought the American League mm-hmm. in New Haven one night. But it's uh, an aspect of of doing my job. Robbie Fitork was our captain. Ian Mark Tardis and uh, Tuesday prior to this November 22nd American Thanksgiving uh, in Quebec uh, Schmatz ran a Futuric got a stick up and knocked out six or seven teeth and cut him for 30, 40 stitches <laughs> so they vowed the Bruins vowed to get Futuric and I had played with Sid Robbie for two years in Cincinnati not only was my friend he was my bread bread, bread and basket bread and Bread basket and ticket to the to the high life and yep. so I I just in in the warm up Cashman speared me but I stood in front of the Bruins dressing room before the game started in my street clothes and I told Bobby Miller go in and tell those guys if they want a piece of the dark we can start right now I just wanted to set the stage with them <laughs> yeah no this was at four thirty five o'clock and I told them I said you guys want the torque you're gonna have to go through me nice and in the warm up Cashman speared me and we we hacked hacked each other a little bit with sticks. And then O'Reilly and Jonathan what? and Secord. And I, I just did a signing with Terry O'Reilly at Worcester Railers game with my book, which he's featured on the cover, and he nice. wrote the forward. And it's, to me, one of the ultimate aspects of, of, of an achievement in hockey for me because I got one of the most recognizable and greatest competitors that I've ever seen mm-hmm. to, to not only uh, participate in the signing, but write the forward to my book, which is a sign of respect. Oh, I for hope sure. I earned it from him. <clears throat> it, it sounds really? like it. I mean, look, look to go against those four dudes in one game, that's that's pretty intense. And Terry O'Reilly is 
one of the greatest warriors to ever lace up. Um, both like as a player and a fighter, like that guy left it all on the ice. So I mean, that's that's a testament, I think, to uh, to what you contributed uh, to the game as a player, and then obviously later on as a referee. I think you're very well respected. So that's that's awesome. Man. Oh, I appreciate it, and I just tell you that you know, uh, Anders Hedberg. Once we were at a, at a at a charity event, and he looked over at me and he says he remembered me. You know, of course, from WHA, and I didn't get to play much. Against Winnipeg, I, I fought Kim Claxon one night, and that was about the extent of my on ice activity for against Winnipeg Jets. But he said to me, "How many goals you get in the NHL?" I said, two. He says, "You made a lot out of those two. Took <laughs> 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 those babies a long way." <laughs> what does uh, what? So, so you and Cashman are, are whacking at each other before the game even starts. What's the protocol to split that up? Like, as a ref, if you see two guys pushing and shoving or taking swings and the game hasn't even started, how do you break it up? Is there, does the game... It well, they were going clockwise and we were going counterclockwise in our half and their half. And, oh, gotcha. And, so you just uh, go by and catch each other? And he, he went... I went by him and he speared me. Oh. So I just... I just did a... I just did a hard left and went followed him down. And he... he you know, he turned the stick over. Well, I played two, three years in the minors and I played with guys like, uh, uh, you know, Larry Mavity and... and uh, other, you know, Teddy McCaskill and people like that. And I, I knew how to use a stick. Trust <laughs> and, and, and the fact was, I, he says to me, I'll cut your eyes out. I said, what do you think this is, a salmon? I said, I'll stick it down your throat and take nothing of it. I said, there's nobody here to break us up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a little bit of the old-time hockey, but you got to understand something. You know, they knew I was coming. Right. And I think that was part of his his aspect of trying to challenge me. He was he was the captain, I think, that night. And uh, you know, they had a good hockey team. They had Jean Rattel and they had uh, Cheevers and Gilles Robert, and they, they had a pretty good hockey team. So I'm not and I'm not taking anything away from them. Milbury was playing defense for them, and mm-hmm. Brad Park and other different guys. But the fact is that I wasn't going to back off from those guys. No, I not, uh, listen. I was from Dorchester, which is one of the toughest sections of Boston. And you know, for me in 1958, as a five-year-old, to say I'm going to play in the National Hockey League, it took a certain amount of guts. And I, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't backing down from those guys. Yeah, for Plus, sure. I grew up with those guys. So, and, and playing, sorry, growing up in Dorchester is it? Is it? You say it's a, t- it's a tough area. And uh, did, did you have so, like some? Christmas uh, Eve, 1962, my brother walked out of Dor- Dorchester Park. They've been skating, and a guy stabbed him for his hockey stick. Oh, my Almost God. Killed him. It's 62. I mean, that's the type of neighborhood it is. It's a working-class neighborhood, and it was tough. And, right. You know, I never knew we weren't rich. I, I, I thought we were, you know, we had, we had a toilet and a half in our house. We thought <laughs> we were rich. <laughs> All right, you little Billy Badasses. This episode of Fight Stories is brought to you by Absolute Nature CBD. Listen, you know the deal. They're the best. Plug in the Goon Squad. Promo code to save 20% at checkout, like you've been doing. However, I am announcing the Fight Stories Christmas giveaway. The Sunshine Boys and the good people over at Absolute Nature CBD are giving away some CBD oil and CBD oil products over the course of the holidays, and this is what you got to do to enter to win. All you have to do is retweet or share on Facebook an episode of Fight Stories, tag Absolute Nature CBD, tag me and Tyler, the Sunshine Boys, and tag Fight Stories, and then put in, this is probably the most important part, hashtag Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway, and you can win one of their products that'll enter you in a chance to win either the oil, the salve, or the soft gels. The person who shares the most between now and December 24th We'll get all three. We'll get the Absolute Nature CBD Super Pack. It's got to be like a $250 value. Something like that. I don't know. Maybe it's 200 Listen, it's free and it's great. Can't get no better than that. Are there any like particular like uh, fights outside you know, the rink growing well, up that kind of like molded you that you felt that uh, you, know, you were able to take that experience? Yeah, to, you're walking around with your backup? Oh, yeah. There was a kid I fought once, Nicky Fish. He was a tough kid and, uh, you know, rugged. And, and he and I went at it, and 
I fought at Waterton for guys, but she fights then, you know, you're best of friends and you fight. And then 20 minutes later, you're off having a popsicle. So it wasn't <laughs> like, you, you know, you hated each other. But, <laughs> Not even but a I beer. fought this Nikki Fish in front of a, 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 a convent. And the nuns came out to watch and all the traffic stopped. And I looked over <laughs> and there's my mother. She's holding my lunchbox and my coat. So the fight's over. And oh, one, one lady, Mrs. Costello, with the, with the brogue, oh, no, there's a terrible problem. And, and Paul said, get down here, Mrs. Stewart. Oh, they hit each other. fight's over. And I'm walking back to the house with my mother. And, and I catch up to her and I say, you know, it's sort of embarrassing. You showing up to the fight. She said, I just want to make sure no one stole your coat. Yeah. <laughs> you think we're rich, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. And so, but, but, I mean, you know, you know, there's a certain something, too, about the time we grew up in. I mean, we grew up on war movies and John Wayne and, and things like that. And you'd go to the Oriental Theater, you had 25 cents, and you could see two 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 films for, for a quarter, and the, the drink was you know, syrup and soda water out of the cup and right. get a popcorn for 10 cents. So you, you you pretty well, you know, live your life. And, you know, we skated on ponds and we did everything that any other of the kids would have done out in Saskatoon or so in Toronto 50, or anywhere else. You were born 53, right? You said that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, just, just curious. Were I was born the did day you... Dallin died. I'm not sure. Maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> were there still like some of the vestiges of World War II? Like, could you still feel that? Were there like kids you knew growing up the, whose like dad died in the war? Like, were families oh, yeah, still sure. like were, you know? Uh, listen, I, if if you met me right now, you'd see uh, I got my dad's dog tags on. We, you know, on every house on my street had a Marine, veteran, or a Navy or an Army guy. And right. the guy around the corner that coached football with my dad at English High, he was a tail gunner on a B-17, got shot down, spent two years in, in prison camp. So, yeah, we, we uh, and there were still guys in the reserves. I mean, you so know, this is like that, that's got to breed toughness. Early 60s. That's got to breed toughness and like gratitude, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. Right. And, you know, my father would say to me, uh, you know, I would get cut or get hurt or get knocked down and say, get up. And we, we used to box and we played football and we did everything. We, 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 you know, there was a bridge down where we lived and we used to, you know, hand over hand, you know, go across the bridge underneath over the river. And, you know, it was all tests of courage and stuff like that. So it's, it was being a kid. Yeah. And so you, so you go into the NHL. You put you your career. Let's as it as it's winding down. You just you um. What, what's what what is it that uh, helps you decide to transition into the referee side of things? Was there ever um, <laughs> Pay, paying the mortgage? <laughs> well, no. I was I was uh, I was going through the same issues that a lot of guys go through. That we we remembered the roar and we missed it. We, we used to be somebody that people loved. Mm. We missed all the attention. We missed certainly the money. And the fact is that uh, because my family had been involved in sports their whole lives, that I, I you know, being a policeman and being a car salesman and doing radio talk shows and things like that just didn't stimulate me to the point that I wanted to stay at it. And mm. I found myself again going back to what my family had done. My grandfather had refereed in the NHL. My dad was a collegiate referee, worked uh, college world championships in three sports, uh, football, hockey, baseball, and at, at the highest level collegiately. And, and I started refereeing to put money in my pocket, five bucks a game, you know, working youth hockey and mm-hmm. helping the kids over the boards. And the fellows that were running the, the officiating in Massachusetts, they were the ones that told me I was wasting my time doing amateur stuff that I should go back to the pros. And, and uh, with Scotty Morrison and John McCauley gave me my shot, but God rest John McCauley's soul. And uh, I, I found myself again. I found my purpose, and I found out where I was the happiest. It's not always where you make the most money or you have the greatest success. It's where you're the happiest. And the people that I love the most and the people that I respect are people in rinks. When I'm in rinks, I'm happy. So why not stay there? That's what I do. Now, other things I do, construction. I built five hockey rinks. Oh, wow. Uh, I, work, I work commercial roofing, and I, I advise, and I run hockey 
uh, officiating for about five leagues right now, and I did work in Russia for three years. I'm just happy being around the sport. It gives me purpose and gives me identity and it gives me a source of pride. God, I would love to talk to you about the commercial aspect of building the rinks, but I feel like that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me put it this way to you. The fact is that, that a lot of the notions and ideas about how to build a rink are those that I've acquired from watching people and talking to fellas like Dan Craig, who's, you know, the guru of hockey for the NHL. But I grew up as a seven-year-old with a, a wooden paddle with holes in it, stirring the brine tank at the Boston Arena where the Bruins played back in the 20s. Wow. And I had a key like Rudy had a key to the Notre Dame <laughs> uh, uh, football stadium. I had a key to the arena. I used to go in there on snow days and skate by myself. When you, when you were and, seven? Wow, the magnitude of that must have been incredible for a seven-year-old kid. Oh, no doubt about it. And I, I drove my... I drove one of the original 10 Zambonis when I was 12. And I sharpened skates and I and I helped put the nets on and I mixed the uh, I mixed the oil and the and the antifreeze to pour in the hole so that the hole would plug up. But you know, I, I learned how to paint the lines and I I sold board advertising. I did everything. And you know what? The people I respected the most, especially my dad and my grandfather, you know, they, they we were we were at home in the rinks. Yeah. That's that's great, and and um, and as you as you get into the NHL uh, refereeing, as you get to that level, um, it wasn't too far away from your playing career. Is there? Did you run into guys that you played that were still? Oh, that's a good play, question. <laughs> played against or fought while you were refereeing? Oh, yeah. Like Paul, you sure. hypocrite son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but uh, I mean, I played against Gretzky's first game in the WHA was in. in oh, Dayton. cool. He was playing for Indy, and I was playing for Cincinnati, and White Stapleton introduced us. And it's ironic because just a few days before I was inducted in the Hall of Fame, uh, Wayne called me, and uh, (laughs) it was such an honor. But he comes from such a fine family. His mom and dad were such nice people. And I I really have great respect. Mark Messier was my teammate in Cincinnati. Uh, Mike Gartner was my teammate. And, uh, you know, I, I ran up against a lot of guys that, that I was on the ice with or against and, you know, and then behind the bench, Pat Quinn and Jack McElarge and other, I fought Jack McElarge. He cut me open for like 32 <laughs> stitches in Philly and, and the wolf he, man. he'd be behind the bench in Vancouver. They'd be barking and I'd, I'd lean over the board and say, Jack, I haven't forgotten Philly. You know, but, uh, Pat Quinn threw a piece of gum at the, Driscoll one night, and I was in Montreal <laughs> watching it on TV. And two nights later, I'm uh, I'm in Buffalo, and then Saturday I'm in Toronto, and, and they find Quinn. God rest his soul, he's a good guy. And uh, yeah. so on the way to the walking from Eaton Center Merritt to the Maple Leaf Gardens, I I I, I bought at Max. I bought ten packs of gum, and after the anthem, Quinn used to come out of the dressing room. He never stood behind the bench during the anthem, and uh, Ricky Lee was. Uh, system coach. So I skate over. I says, Where, where's Pat? Oh, he's coming. What do you want? I said, here, these are for him. And I put the 10 packs of gum on the, on the, on the bench. He says, what's those for? I said, tell him I don't want him to run out of ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a different way of handling those guys. Yeah. I never threw a coach out in 20 years. Oh, I, I only true. gave four bench miners. Three of them were to, to guys with teammates of mine. Yep. And, uh, and, and and the other was to Brian Murray, who had a lisp. Every time I said Paul, he spit him in your face. Like, <laughs> 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 well, that's so funny. So I, I, you know, and God rest his soul, he was a good guy. I, mm-hmm. I reached out to him when he was ill, and Pat Pat Burns the same. You know, the 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 intensity of the interaction mm-hmm. only was a was a demonstration of the passion that we had. Yeah, right, and. And and they were as, as as steadfast in that they were right as as much as I was steadfast in that I was right. But the, the same one t- thing that a lot of people wonder about: how do you last a long time as a referee in the NHL? You have to have acceptability. Well, that's what I was going to say. I had that. Because you're talking about you know you know everybody's very passionate, but you don't really ever see a ref getting too passionate. You know they kind of got to be sit there and take it. They're almost like a judge. 
You know, you're sitting there and you're taking this coach, you know, screaming in your face and he's lisping and spitting. But I've never seen a referee like even even scream back. It's just like oh, very... I used to give it right back to them. <laughs> <laughs> one one night in Winnipeg, uh, <laughs> Dan Morley was coaching, <laughs> and uh, I the glass was low, and they just started to put the, uh, the third tier up in the old Winnipeg Arena, and and uh, the glass was low, and I jumped up right by the bench held on to the glass and some fan in the first row leaned over and punched me right square in the <laughs> so I fell off the glass and I'm sitting on my ass on the ice and I'm, I pointed at the guy blew the whistle and I I you know I stopped the game. Yeah. Yeah. Maloney's yelling at me, What are you stopping the game for? They must have been on a breakaway. I said that guy punched me. He said, "Let's sign him." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> so you know, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have the passion, but you gotta have a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Burns, Burns, one night he yelled at me. He said, "You screw the Bruins to prove you're fair." <laughs> now that's the most idiotic, illogical statement I've ever heard. So I stopped the game. Yeah. And I, he and I were screaming at each other back and forth. I said, by the way, at the end of this back and forth, uh, Axelson started, you know, he wanted to chime in. And I said, hey, hey, you, when I want to talk to the peanut gallery, I'll talk to you. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm talking <laughs> to the big cheese. I said, hey, you tell your wife she picked out a beautiful tie tonight. So <laughs> I skated away. And Burns, I know what he was doing. He was trying to get a rise out of me to get the team going. Yeah. yeah. So he winks at me. So, Bork, Bork, <laughs> Bork yeah. skates off the bench at the end of the period. He goes, I've never seen two guys yell at each other like that before. He, he said, you're not going to take it out on us. I said, why would I do that? Right. He said, you're the captain of this team. I said, you're going to control that dressing room, and you're going to tell that entire team that if I read about this or hear about this, I said, tomorrow night in Buffalo, you will not be getting power plays. You'll be killing penalties. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so <laughs> after the game's over, not a word, nothing in the paper the next day. But after the game was over, Burns is on the press conference, you know, and I can see it in my dress room. And uh, one of the reporters said, right, right in the middle of the second period, Paul Stewart stopped the game for no reason, and you and he got into it and were screaming at each other. What was that all about? Burns said, I think Paul Stewart's one of the best referees in the National Hockey League. <laughs> I, don't think, I, I, I don't think he was having his best period that day. <laughs> so, you know, that's okay. It was opinion. So, I, so the next night I skate and run in Buffalo before the, before the, before the anthem. And uh, I skate by Burns. I said, hey, another nice tie. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to have a little oh, go ahead. joy in you, a little yeah. mirth. A little, uh, a little. Don't take yourself too too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know the games changed. You know they took the names off the sweaters. We're, we're referees now are all gray. They don't have that. Wes mm. McCauley has personality, but uh, yeah, the rest of the fellas, they're they are what they are. <laughs> yeah, well, you you get into uh, like being on the ice. It's like a front row seat. You know, you always see they do sometimes the mic'd up NHL players. You you have like the all access to that. Is it, who is the greatest trash talker that you ever heard on the ice? Oh, uh, or the worst if that's for, how you like uh, it. Um, the, uh, uh, Rob Ray, Robbie Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, and sometimes he didn't make any sense. <laughs> sort of funny. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Listen, as a comic, talk. sometimes you just got to let yeah. it all... You just got to let it all hang oh, out. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, there wasn't too much... You know, there was the usual yeah. question in their courage or their sexual preference or their physical <laughs> equipment. But other than that... It's, Here's a question. Was there anybody... Um, was there anybody that you sort of you gave a little extra leeway? Like any tough guys out there, you gave a little extra leeway just because you liked them. You Probe know, and you gave Prober a little extra. Oh, nice! No, I'll tell you <laughs> like, why. like anybody ever needed it. It's, it's no, not Prober, but Chicago one night in a playoff game. Yeah, and uh, they're playing Minnesota, and you know, there's no love loss. It's the opening game, and uh, he lines up against Basil McCray, and I drop the puck, and I turn, and those two guys have dropped the gloves. And they're going one punch from one, one punch from the other, one punch from McCray, and Probert hit him with a with a, a haymaker. I mean, a straight shot, and hit him so hard he spun him. And as he did, he 
McCray broke his leg. Oh, shit. And, and, and Tobin had his hands cocked, ready to hit him another one. And he held him up, waved to the bench, called the trainer out, held him. And then when the trainer got there, he let him go. And I turned and I said to Probert, go to the box, but I'm going to tell you, you got all my respect. Yeah, yeah that's classy. Said, yeah. That's a classic move. I think they so used to be teammates, too. So I had a lot too. of time for Probert. Uh-huh. He didn't, he wasn't, you know, he played hard, and he ran through goaltenders and all the things <laughs> he did, which is fine. But I, I felt, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you you, you don't see very often. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you, you I don't, liked him. Mm-hmm. You don't go from, uh, you know, nailing I the like guy in the face to holding him up like Gone with the Wind. Well, for a guy who yeah. cut, who beat up so many guys in the league, you like he won so many fights against guys. You very rarely hear someone say, "I did not like Bob Probert. I don't like Bob Probert." He right. so many people had great interactions with him and experiences, despite all of his, uh, you know, off beatings ice, and off ice off ice issues that you know clouded right. a little bit of his situation. I mean, listen, we, everybody's got off ice issues, of course. And the fact is, like Eddie the Eagle, one night, you no, know, he 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 begged the cop to drive home and. Give him, I'll give you ten thousand dollars or whatever he said. So a I'm a billion dollars the next night. <laughs> yeah, he said that I'm reffing the next night in Dallas, and you know there was a play and there was a stoppage, and he's sweeping the snow away. I leaned on the net. I said, "Hey Ed, how's it going?" Yeah, good. I said, uh, "Listen, I rented a nice car tonight, so if you need a ride home, I'll do it for five hundred. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you got to have. You gotta you gotta have some enjoyment to this. It's a game. Yeah, it's and, a, that, and the yeah, fact yeah, yeah. is that you know you want to you want to let these guys play. And you know I had my runs in with different players like uh, Eisenman and I just didn't get along at all. But we eventually brokered a deal through Scotty that um, you know he stayed away from me and I didn't talk to him. That was it. Well, that's interesting to have you know that type of relationship with someone that uh, I don't know. He's you know pretty revered captain, but he he just he didn't like your style and you didn't like it. No, he didn't like my style and he didn't like the fact that I I dug my heels in and I wasn't backing away from him. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing is that I didn't like the way he talked to some of the lines. Oh, okay, I thought he uh, talked down to the guys. He, what he said to me didn't bother me. You know, I've I've been called everything in the book. Yeah, but as I said to I said to a couple guys. You don't like me very much. I said, that's okay. I said, you think you want to kick my ass? I said, well, I'll meet you anywhere you want to go. doesn't matter to me. (laughs) (laughs) Take take off the uniforms. I told a famous guy one night, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, he plays for the Bruins, and he sits under me. I turn, I said to him, you got all these people fooled. I said, they think you're fast. I think you're fast when the numbers are big. (laughs) Yeah. And he don't like that. He says, I had to kick your ass. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you in Charlestown. <laughs> Nobody there. Yeah. We'll split a cab. <laughs> you and I will just, we'll, we'll, we'll just do it up. There'll be nobody to stop it. Yeah. I said, and we'll go from there. And, you know, different guys along the way, they wanted to challenge me, and they you know, felt that they could get behind, you know, the fact that they were players and, and, right. and challenge me. And, you know, the fact is that I, I wasn't going to fight them, but. If I had to, I could have. Right, right. And you being I a picked, previous player, it didn't Claude impress you so much. Once in Moncton. I picked Cla- Claude Lemieux got into a fight one night in Moncton when he was playing for Sherbrooke. And the linesman had a broken arm or a broken wrist. He was still in a cast. And he got pinned underneath and he was screaming, yelling. And I, I speak French and I said to Lemieux, Arrête, Arrête, maintenant, stop. You know, yeah. you know the linesman's in trouble. And he turned around and he told me to, you know, kiss my ass. And I, so I, I grabbed him by the hair and the crotch and I threw him over the boards. <laughs> Claude Lemieux. I did. I picked him right up and I threw him right over the boards. And people say, how'd you do that? I said, I was strong. I was, I was strong. And I wasn't taking any crap. And if I got mad, I could, I could handle it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So I ended up. You know, meeting in Montreal, and they said I was anti-French, this and that. And I said to Serge Savard, you know that's a bunch of crap. I said, that's Pierre Kramer talking. I said, that's not you. And they dropped it. You know, so it is what it is. You know, it's all, nobody likes referees. And I tell people all the time, it's not that they didn't like me, it's they didn't like the polyester sweater. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> those black and white stripes, they don't... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they can only suit you a little more stylishly. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that, right. that's, that's amazing. Right. Is there is there any... Um, I guess... Uh, what was I going to ask? Is there any uh, like referee that you felt like over-policed the game? You know what I mean? Like wouldn't put the whistle away? Um, that like it kind of you know it annoyed you as from from you know the professional perspective. Well, you work with a lot of young guys, and they're you know they want to set the set the high water mark for themselves. And uh, right. I worked with a kid; he's still working now, so I'm not going to mention his name. But that's fair. I, I thought he was a little over officious. So one night in Tampa, Tortorella was coaching, and this guy was sort of new. And uh, he, I, uh, Anderchuk, uh, Florida was playing Tampa, and uh, it was in Tampa. And uh, Anderchuk was behind the net, and he pulled the legs of uh, that uh, old Jokinen. And, but Jokinen, as he's fallen, made a 100-foot path up to the red line. <laughs> and the, everybody's concentrating on the play way up high. Yeah. And Interchuck and I are skating up ice. We're behind the play. All of a sudden, there's a change of possession, and the whistle goes. And the front referee, this young kid, and he's still working, he he uh, he made this call. And Tortorella and Interchuck and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And yeah. we're like, you know. So, anyway... It was close to the end of the period. Tortorella was screaming and yelling. I, I, I put my hand up and I said, hey, just, John, I'll, relax. I'll, I'll, I'll come see you. And so the period's over and the two linesmen and the other referee go off the ice. I said to Tortorella, give me a copy of that. So I stood actually on the bench and waited for the copy of this tape. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I skated into the dress room and I said, Jesus. They said, where were you? I said, I had to go see the trainer for Tampa. I said, there's something wrong. I said, take a look at my eye. Do you see my contact? Is my contact lens in my eye? And, <laughs> and, and this other referee stands up. He says, yeah, it is. I said, oh, thank God, because I missed that trip that was five feet in front of me. <laughs> thank God you started from 150 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, here, look at that thing. I said, that's a joke, a disgrace. And you know what? You don't need me for the third period, so I just pulled my gun. You're all on your own. Have a nice night. <laughs> oh, don't be like that. Don't be like that. I turned and I said to him, you don't need me. You're, you're, you're like a PT boat. You're just cruising all over. You, you don't need anybody. You're, you're on fast. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. You don't trust. You don't trust me. You don't trust the linesman. And you don't trust you don't, me. You don't trust. You got how... it all figured out. Yeah. So you go out there by yourself and get it done. So I took my skates off. Oh wow. And. uh I just pretended I wasn't going out. And they went out, and they started the period. I put my skates back on and went out like a minute into the third period. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when he said to me, uh, uh, are you all right? I turned and I said to him, I said, yeah, and you got 19 minutes to figure it out. Said, you ever do that again? I said, I'm going to run this elbow right through your mouth. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. A ref fight would have been the most legendary fight of no, all the I, other I, jobs. I, I just told him, I said, you know, other guys will sit there and talk about you behind your back. I'm telling you right to your face. That was a horse shit call. And yeah. I'm not taking it. And I'm going to tell you right now, just don't do that again. Yeah. I said, because I said, and here's the tape. Go look at it. And if I'm wrong, I said, I'll buy you dinner because you're going you're going away tomorrow and then I'll see you next week. But I'll tell you what. I said, don't ever do that again to me. Yeah. I said, that's crap. It had to be tough. It had to be tough though, uh, when they transitioned into the two referee system because you're used to just running, you know, the show by yourself and then all of a sudden now it's uh you know, it it really depends you on know, most of us people don't realize most of us grew up in the two referee system and we all worked amateur hockey and two oh, okay. referees. So mm. we had to learn how to get along with each other. Oh that's the cool. only thing was that doing two referees, two linesmen was we didn't have to worry about icings, offsides, mm-hmm. dropping pucks. So it's it wasn't that hard of a transition and a lot of people aren't the historians of hockey that I've been. Mm-hmm. My grandfather refereed in the National League in the 30s, and it was two referees, one linesman. Oh, interesting. Mm. That's a, that's very interesting. And I guess uh, the the, one, the other question I want to ask you is, uh, having that front row seat uh, that not many people had, what's the best fight that you ever saw on the ice as a referee? Yeah, but it wasn't in the NHL. All right. It was in the Western Junior team. It was Saskatoon. And Saskatoon was playing in a playoff game, and Wild Bill Hunter 
was at the game. I'll never forget it. He owned the Edmonton when I was there. Yeah. He was a good fella. And, uh, and I was refereeing, and Shane Churla fought Wendell Clark in Saskatoon in the old <laughs> rink. And when the fight was over, and they were killing each other, and it was unbelievable, no holds wow. barred. It was, it was almost like Jack Carlson to me. It was like straight punch for punch. And they're wow. both big kids. Mm-hmm. And the place was going crazy. And then the linesman went to break it up, and I pulled them both out of the way. I said, leave them alone. Yeah. I'll take care of this. Get get away. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just said to those guys, I said, when you get tired, let me know. Oh, wow. And they finished, and they pulled into each other. And they you know, they looked each other in the eye, and there was no motion faces and yep. biting or catcalling or anything like that. Right, they're I just said, done. okay, you, you guys, I'm going to skate between you. Let's skate to the box. And we're skating from like the middle of the one end zone to the penalty box. And as we got about 20 feet from the, the penalty box, I took each one of them, I took their hands and raised them up over their heads. Oh, like, that's great. Awesome. These that's young kids. So and, the cool. place, and the place went nuts. But yeah. you got to understand, you know, I mean, that was the game then. Yeah, things have changed. But that's and that's yeah. in a in a tough Western Hockey League, and uh, that's you know Shane Sherla became a, a great NHL enforcer, and Wendell Clark, obviously one of the toughest pound for pound guys to ever play for the Toronto Maple Leafs and many other teams. But that story, Quebec, played yeah. for he Quebec. did play for Quebec. Yep. He did, yeah. And the wingers, and, and don't, that was don't a heartbreak. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it hurt my heart. I cried when he got traded when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that, Dorchester? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. But uh, the um, uh, that fight in particular, I had heard about this fight, but it's, there's no video because it's you know back uh, you know in the early '80s, um, and it was you know the Western Hockey League, so it's not as you know the NHL. Most of the games are filmed, but. That fight doesn't exist on video, so I've only heard about it uh, through secondhand accounts. But to hear it from firsthand, the referee that's there, yeah, that's going to be a very uh, popular soundbite for this podcast for the people that listen. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they talk about the hockeyfights.com. The hockey, the hockey fight boards. They talk about that fight every now and again. It comes up as like the the holy grail of fights. That's oh, one wow. that's, that doesn't exist. Wow. But if they could have that on video, they would like to see that particular one. So thank you for sharing that with us. That's amazing. No, I think I think it was one of the better fights that I ever saw, and I, I thought it was two guys that were equal in their ability, and mm-hmm. they were both tough, and and they and they did did this thing, and then they both went to the box and sat down, and there was nothing past the fight. They went out and played the hockey the rest of the game. And I, I just tell you that you know, as I say, while Bill Hunter was there, and he was a great gentleman of the game and quite a you know colorful guy he came down after of course he knew me and he came down and he said that was fantastic you know that was great this is what it's all about i i said to him you know i'm sure the people here in saskatoon you know other than waiting for the grain silos to open, this was probably the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just very quickly, you know, because we, we, we are running long, just your opinion as, uh, you know, a former enforcer and now a ref and, you know, by all means an ambassador to the game, your opinion of where the, how the game is shaping up and where it's headed as far as fighting is concerned. Well, I don't think that, a lot of factors that are involved anymore that would precipitate the fights, such as the uh, back-to-back games. Mm. There's not the friction anymore. There's not the uh, the rivalry aspect of of rivalry, but really the the opportunity to to dislike someone. Mm-hmm. And someone, you know, when Boston played Montreal, and it was and it was Milt Schmidt playing against the Rocket. I mean, they they just didn't like each other. <laughs> and it was the same thing that, uh, you know, the Rangers had with the Islanders and Philadelphia had with everybody. And so you just look at the fact that that those things have changed. Plus, you look at the fact that the game has changed because everybody's got an agent now. And the agents are telling the players, you're not going to get more money unless you get more points. So Mm -hmm. you can't get points when you're in the penalty box. Mm -hmm. And so you you don't see guys like Sean Thornton really prospering anymore. You see yeah. wise guys like Marshawn doing when they're saying, if he ever licks my face, I, 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 I'd have bitten his tongue right off. I'm telling you. <laughs> the second person to mention Marshawn. Yeah, if he ever licked my face. No, I'm just telling you. I mean, yeah. I, I don't take anything away from his hockey abilities. No, 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 for sure. 
but but you know he reminds you of Theo Fleury in a lot of ways. He's got a lot of great abilities, and he mm-hmm. scores you know interesting timely goals, goals and, and exciting things. But you know all, all the rest of it is hocus pocus. It's not hockey. Yeah, and I think you got to have a, a a professional attitude and a respect for the game, and I think that that's missing. Did you ever have I any? Think that, mm, sorry, did you have any ever have any uh, issues with like a, a Sean Avery at the time? Because like he was, yeah, yeah I, mean, I thought he was an idiot. I still think he's an idiot, and I think his whole my wife liked him because he's got a nice body. But <laughs> you no, know, but the fact is, I mean, you know, saying stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He was in the dressing room, and I was sitting next to him, and he said what he said about that guy wife yeah i'd have popped them you know we we used to police ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh and and the fact is that you know that type of behavior is not what hockey people should be about i mean i look at a guy like that guy and then i look at a guy like wayne gretzky Mm -hmm. or gordy howe and and i just tell you that you know it's one of the reasons why i had problems with you know a few particular players that couple dickheads played in philadelphia or other different spots i just thought that they 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 we didn't get along because i just thought that they didn't have they the thought they were bigger than the game right yeah there's a, an element of decorum that the, uh, the the truly professional guys bring to the table um my my litmus test is would john would jean beliveau do that and i don't think so and i i had the opportunity to play in in no people like Frank Mahavlich and I, I mean, Trejak, Trejak is mm-hmm. the minister of sport, uh, minister of hockey in, in Russia. Yeah. And, and he, he talks to me like, like, you know, I scored a thousand goals. And I, I just think that the respect that we need to have for one another, and th- that type of stuff that Avery did and wrote, I mean, it was, it was a hocus pocus. And the fact is that like, if you walk by me and sit something, I'd walk in like, thing has another. <laughs> I'd, I'd let him find out what Dorchester was all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also, you know, um, you guys come from a different era where you weren't growing up and playing. You were growing up and playing, and you wanted to play the game because a you loved hockey, and you know, of course, the fame and everything else. But you weren't there weren't ten million dollar contracts. Kids weren't being treated like gods as thirteen and fourteen year olds because they were top prospects. I watched the way that that BU went out and played the game and Jack Kelly's teams and Jordan and Hines and I, Hines played for Harvard and Jordan and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and, and Sterling and, and Davenport and those great teams that they had and, and David Poyle playing for Northeastern. Those were the guys that inspired me to play college hockey. Right. And, and when I got to the pro, when I got to the pros, I mean, I, I, I watched, when I was in Philadelphia as a college student watching the Flyers practice every day, I kept looking at him and saying, I'm as big as that guy. I can skate as well as that guy. Mm. All of a sudden, I started to believe I could do it. And then I had guys like Barry Ashby, God rest his soul, told me, he said, you're going to make it. He said, you got the heart. And you know what? That's something that scouts the world round can't find. Mm. They don't know. They can't find a meter to measure heart. That's I it. made it on heart. And persistence mm-hmm. and courage. It transcends and I made it the analytics. I wasn't giving up. And when I they told me I had cancer and I had six months to live, I told them I said, "You guys, are, you don't know me. I'm not. I'm not leaving. Yeah, not yet." And and I'll tell you one thing: the only part of me that that's out of hockey, it, 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 my knees and my and my legs and my back. You know what? My heart's still there. Mm-hmm. My mind's still there. So I'm still I'm still part of hockey. And it's a great sport. And when Gary Bettman says it's our game, you know what? He's done a great job, and I give him credit for growing the game. Look at Las Vegas; it's fantastic. Yeah. And now I see kids from I see kids playing in the National Hockey League from New Jersey. Who the hell ever would have thought that? Never mind that, Austin you know, Matthews. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> who would have thought somebody from Arizona you know, would be playing in the league? Yeah. Exactly. She and and Gomez playing for Jersey. Yeah, I mean, he, we're in New Jersey right now. We <laughs> <laughs> probably could help him. Yeah, but, you know, give, give, give Shiro a little time; he'll get it going. He's he's smart. Yeah, yeah. he's got the good bloodlines, you know, and yeah, nice. good timing Fitzgerald. He's got lots of good guys there, so yeah, yeah. he'll be fine. Paul, thank you. Uh, 
thank you so much for your for your time today, man. I know you said a half an hour, but I knew we'd get you cooking longer as soon as we got you talking. <laughs> yeah, I know the worst part is that usually I get going this far, and usually there's uh, like uh, popcorn and beer involved, but you guys didn't buy that, so I got I, I got sucked <laughs> no, in. We're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to send you a package. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, Paul, when we we'll run into you down the road here, we'll oh, be yeah. we'll be buying you a beer. We really uh, yeah. appreciate you doing the podcast. It's absolutely an honor. You're a staple as a you know a referee staple of uh, our childhood experience watching mm-hmm. uh, the NHL growing up and uh, everything that you've accomplished. And obviously, uh, you know your battle with cancer is inspiring. To you know, what you just said, the, like our listeners are going to be so intrigued by your story and it really is a privilege to have you on so yeah and and once again they can get get, they can get that book you want to go and then they can find out about the magical christmas for paul stewart the children's book nice that matthew sherman wrote uh after he heard my story and i i think that you know people don't maybe understand but maybe they'll get a little bit after they hear this that you know i don't believe in luck but i was the luckiest guy in the world Mm mm-hmm I got to achieve my dreams. It's an inspirational story, and I really do hope uh, that our listeners do go check out the book. And uh, it's yeah, you, you want to go dot com? That's correct, right? That's right. You, and and I've already been approached. It's going to be a movie. Oh wow! wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. So Paul, I, can I, I play that, you in the movie? <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. You guys, John, you guys heard it here. John's had his nose broken five times. Yeah, just five, Paul. I, I, I got a little catching up to do. You, you got twenty to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, th- I, uh, doctors loved me because I was like a, I was like a house payment for them. Yeah, I was about to say you'd walk in the door, they go ching. Here, come, here comes the cash cow. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Paul. Paul. Stewart, everyone. Uh, okay. Youwannago.com, uh, and the book is available at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, but Yawanago, Y-A, Yawanago.com. Sounds like you're from Dorchester. <laughs> and uh, and check it out. Make sure you get the book, and uh, yeah, you know, check them out on YouTube. There's a couple scraps up there. Oh, so, yeah. and Youwannago.com, C-A-L-M, yeah. com is how you spell that. <laughs> you can see you, people don't remember the fight I had with Gordy Lane in the island. That was a good one. Yeah, Billy well, Smith gave me a slash. I turned around, whacked him, and all of a sudden, Gordy Lane hits me. I hit him like three, four times, and <laughs> boom, down he goes. And uh, <laughs> it was sort of because later on, I'm wrestling in the American League, and he was coaching Springfield. So, you know, it was sort of an interesting dynamic there. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> well, there you have it. Again, thanks so much, Paul. Uh, everyone, Paul Stewart, uh, thanks again for doing the podcast. And that's another uh, episode of Fight Stories. And, uh, Guys, you know where to get us, and uh, don't forget to subscribe on Patreon.com slash Fight Stories for all the bonus features and all the fun. All the footage, baby. And you can get the live video of this episode. Very good. Send me the link. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul. You have a great one, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.